Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Today is game day, but not the one you're thinking about. Today is game day for our families, and uh, you are one of the franchise players. And uh, you may not have a family. You may be here. You may have, your family's already grown up, but you're still, in the Lord's eyes, a franchise player. You are the Aaron Rodgers of your team, of God's team. And he wants to give you the ball. But you've got to have the tools in order to play the game. You've got to have the plays. You've got to know exactly what you're going to do on the field. And today we have the privilege to, to get a playbook and to know exactly what God wants to do with our lives and, and a step-by-step and how to do that. Maybe not everything, but enough. Enough to score a touchdown for God. I want to introduce uh, for you our, our guest speaker and his wife. Uh, John was baptized in 1983 in, in London. Right? You're stopping me, but I'm, 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 it's good. And Karen was baptized in 1980 or 79 in Texas. And so they've been around a while in the kingdom. And I've known John for a very long time from a distance. He was a missionary in London, and I was a missionary in Mexico. And always when we'd have these worldwide conferences, we would come together. And I had so much respect for John and Karen, for their marriage, for their family, but always leading churches with great faith. And one of the things that I respect about John is is he's still doing that now in Singapore. And it's one of the fastest growing churches of our family of churches around the world. But most specifically, it's a church that is growing in the area of family. They are definitely focused on building family. Uh, they also oversee a geographic uh, group of churches, uh, 50 churches in the Southeast Asia group of churches, and about 6,100 disciples in Korea, Japan, Malaysia, and Indonesia. A huge, if you know the, your, your map, your ge- it's a huge area. And God has given that, them that responsibility because they're faithful. And uh, one of the things that I respect most about John and Karen is when our church went through a difficult time, a number of years ago, they made a decision. We've got to re-identify or reinvent ourselves as ministers. We've got to grow. We've got to learn how to do a better job at ministering to our people. So they both decided to go and get their master's degree in counseling with a specific purpose of meeting the needs of their members and taking care of their people, God's people. And it's that heart that I appreciate about you. Uh, they were here a year ago and uh, did the I Choose Us series here in, in, in uh, the East and also in Orange County. And I know a number of you had a chance to hear that and be a part of that. A life-changing opportunity. Maybe it's today is a day if you were here for that, you need to reboot. Right? You need to reload and, and get ready again for what God is going to do. Uh, but I know that no matter what state, you are in your life. Uh, God's going to use John and Karen. She's going to come up and share to minister to your heart. So we have a great privilege. I'd like to introduce to you our guest speaker and his wife, John and Carrie Louie. Please come on up.
So um, I'm up here just at the beginning to say hi, but uh, hi again for those of you I got to see a year ago. It's been exactly a year because we're back on Super Bowl weekend again, so I'll have to make John watch the Super Bowl with me again. Where he's from, they don't watch the Super Bowl, believe mm-hmm. it or not. There are people that don't watch the Super Bowl. But, um, so, but since today is about family, I just so happened to have this book with me. I brought over, my mom is a photographer, and she kept, she took a lot of photos when my parents took my brother and my sister and me and our spouses and our kids, and they, they brought us all to Scotland over the summer to celebrate my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And not only is this a fun uh, kind of remembrance of family, but there's also a picture of John Louis wearing a kilt. So I just thought if you wanted to have, you know, just for fun, if you wanted to see this. I'll, I'll just show you afterwards, so feel free to come and look. But, you know, um, God is awesome the way he puts us together in families, in our physical family, in our church family, and even bringing, you know, children into our lives. If we're able to have children, um, you know, as one of the brothers shared earlier, it's such a blessing from God to be able to raise kids. And for John and me, when we first started the church, we actually were able to uh, lead in Singapore right now, but we actually started the Singapore church about 23 years ago in 1988. So it's kind of a miracle that we're still in the same city. Uh, We have moved a few times in between, but we're back there. And when we first went there, of course, we had just got married. We were married like three months when we went on the mission field. And John was able to help his, his family become Christians, but he had a little brother that was only 10 years old. Now, it's quite common in Asia to send your kids to live with a big brother or a cousin or something like that if it's going to help them get a better education. Those of you from Asia will, will know that. And so I was a bit surprised when John's mom said, um, we want to send our youngest son, who was only 10 at the time, we want to send him to live with you and John so he can study in Singapore, which has an English school system as opposed to speaking a different language. So I was like, okay, you know, I was like 26 years old or 27. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get a 10-year-old. And, um, you know, so he came and lived with us, and he stayed with us most of the time, not exclusively. But I had a lot of fun, you know, bonding with him. And, and um, in fact, John has five brothers, and four of them moved in with us. And in those early years, they pretty much all lived in our house for the first uh, three or four years of our marriage. And it was actually really fun, praise God. <laughs> no, you know, no clashing there. Um, but it was really cool the way how God built physical family and also spiritual family. And then how that's been able to come back and be a blessing much later. Now that same little 10-year-old boy is a 30-year-old disciple who's married and expecting his first kid. And the cool thing is he is my son's homeroom teacher in high school. So... I get to have a great disciple watching out for my son at school um, in a place where there's no other Christians. And um, I just think the way God works in his purposes, you know, he does things that we would never plan or think of. But just the, bless- the blessings comes- come back on us when we put him first. So I just wanted to start off sharing that about family. And um, I'm excited to be with all of you today. Amen. Okay, Hi, good morning, and uh, how wonderful it is to be in the 
East region uh, of the LA Church. Uh, it's so great to be here. Uh, you know, I know Peter and Laura for a number of years, number of years. Uh, tr- just have tremendous respect for all that they do uh, and the impact in, I know, in, in Mexico. And, you know, you know about all that more than me. Uh, but just, just tremendous. So, uh, you know, just being here, it, it's just great. I, I actually ask, you know, every time I come to U.S., I, I have to accomplish several purposes because this is a long way for me. You know, we're on the other side of the planet. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I came this time around to be with my daughter, and she came with me to look around for co- colleges for her to go to. Uh, so she's excited. So we went to a few places uh, in the U.S. So, uh, you know, in the next six months or so, she's, she's going to make a decision about where to move. Uh, she is a U.S. citizen, so everybody in my family is a U.S. citizen except for me. All right. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that was the one purpose, and, uh, and the other purpose, obviously, all the evangelists are meeting here in L.A. So uh, that's another reason why we're all here together. So uh, I bring you greetings from our region, known as the Sea Region, S-E-A, Southeast Asia, and um, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Come there for holiday. Okay? Uh, log on to our website, www.cchurches.org. And uh, you can read all about us, all the different uh, things that we do over there. Um, but, you know, God blessed us with a great, great region. Our church in Singapore right now has crossed over 1,000 disciples uh, last year. So uh, very exciting. So we're now in a new and a different phase in life. And we've already uh, taken many months in 2010 to chart our next 20 years. So we have our 2020 vision all in place. Uh, I'm sure you have as well. Uh, so one of the things, one of our big, big uh, dream is for God to raise up a new generation. And, uh, and so we have, uh, we have put forward before the church after, you know, talking, discussing, praying. And uh, we have came up with what we call our BHAG, B-H-A-G, our big holy an audacious goal. <laughs> and that is for the church to double in a dozen ways. Church to double in a dozen ways. That's it. Church to double in a dozen ways. And we've literally spelled out all the 12 ways we want God to double. And uh, so that's what we're working towards. And in the next 10 years, That's what we want God to do specifically. In each of these 12 ways, we ask the Almighty to double. Amen? And that means for the Singapore church, from a thousand we have to be? That's challenging. But through God, we will do it. Amen? You know, and that we have right now about 50 churches. And that means... By 2020, we need to have at least 100 churches. So that's challenging. That means every year right now, we have to send five mission teams. And we already started that in 2010. So 2010, we hit five. (laughs) 
2011, we have another five in place every year. Five, 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 five. And most of the plannings are from Indonesia. Because Indonesia is the biggest part of our whole region. 240 million people. 16,000 islands. Although only 8,000 during high tide, but still. <laughs> That's a lot of islands. And when we first started our work in Indonesia, 1990, I, I said, God, I pray for the day in my lifetime when we will see more disciples than islands with people. So, island with people, 5,000 in Indonesia. 5,000 islands with people. That's a lot of islands. We have 3,200 disciples now. The islands won't grow, <laughs> but the disciples will. Yeah. Amen? So in a few years' time, we're going to exceed. That's going to be a time when we will celebrate. And you see, God will bring about all this growth. So we pray for God to double in a dozen ways. And I pray and hope that you have a plan for the next 10 years. Not just with the church, but your own plan because unless you have a dream okay you will not find the drive to propel you are you with me everybody many of you you are old disciples how many of you been christian at least five years or above oh a lot of you ten come on that's a lot of you you see here's the thing at this point in life you need to find a new motivation Okay, you cannot rely on, well, what if I don't do this? What are you going to do? <laughs> we need to leave all that behind. Are you with me here? When we were little, okay, fine. There was a lot of motivation in school that we went to, where if you don't do it, well, guess what? You know? Uh, and there were what we call carrot and stick approach. You understand? You do well, here's a carrot. You don't do it, here's a stick. You understand? And, and people use a lot of this carrot and stick approach in life. Uh, and, and a lot of families, we start, when we disciple our children, we use carrot, the carrot and stick approach. And that's good. And even God talks about the carrot and stick approach in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. You are righteous, I will bless you. And if you're not, what will happen? Curse. Carrot and stick, legitimate, it's there, it's good. But if you look at the life of Paul, and if you look at the life of Jesus, it wasn't just the carrot and stick. If you are talking about being faithful and blowing it out for the next decade, two decades, it needs to be more than carrot and stick, my friend. You understand that? So, what's the drive? The drive is no more the carrot and stick. That's fine here and there. But there is a deeper purpose right there. Okay? There's something super deep. And it's vision. It's about what you want to see. And one of our BHAG, big, holy, and audacious goals, is to see our second generation of brothers and sisters take over from us. In 10 years from now, we have it in place. And every staff, is going to have a number of prodigies with them. And we're going to pick, I'm going to pick like three or four, uh, you know, young boys 
that I'm going to work with so that in 10 years they will be able to start taking over. Are you with me here? And then in 20 years the transition will be smooth. And this motivates me because I'm going to get old. I'm 47 right now. When I'm 60, you know what? I, I want to sit here and I want to have a bunch of brothers and sisters young, 20 years, 30 years younger than me. And you know what? They are, they are preaching the word. And I know when I go, and whenever I go, I, I reckon I'll go before Karen. That's always the case, I think, with the brothers. Okay? Our health is terrible. And uh, women are more righteous, I think, and they, they'll last longer. But anyway... And, and when I go, hey, listen, I, I want to be able to think in my heart, the peace, the peace. And you know, you, may, you will have a lot of regrets here and that you wish you did better. We all do. But the one thing I do not want to do, and that is think, what kind of church my kids are going to grow up in? The burden. And imagine if the church was really not helping. What are you going to say? Give them a high five, say, I'll see you in heaven? Maybe. Maybe. Just because you say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So, when I'm gone, I want them to be in a healthy church. Then when I say, I'll see you on the other side, I know there's a likelihood that that's going to happen. See, this is the motivation you've got to have. Let me ask you what right now, what is your motivation? Are you still into this carrot and stick approach? Let's move further. 2011 has begun, and I want to bring you a message that can help you just give you the drive. Embrace all the challenges that you have in life so far. I don't know what God has put into your life. And if you didn't start off the year well, then start in February. Amen. Are you with me here? Yeah. Alright. So I want to give you this, this, this challenge. And I want us as the East region to move together as a family. And if you really understand family... Every one of your dreams can really, really come true. And God can even go beyond that. Because this is the blessing we have. We have each other. And the more you understand church and the concept of church and the model that God has put before us in the New Testament, the more you will know it is completely possible. Because the church really, really makes a difference. Amen? So, let's look at a passage in the book of Matthew chapter 20. So the title of my message is this, Drinking the Cup as a Family. Drinking the Cup as a Family. Alright, Matthew chapter 20, in verse 20. Okay, are you all there? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus, in verse 20, with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup? I'm going to drink. Well, we can, they answered. Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right 
all left is not for me to grant. These spaces belong for those for whom they have been prepared by my father. This is an account. It begins with Mrs. Zebedee. She was a very ambitious woman, Mrs. Zebedee. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she was all fired up for the cause of Christ. Two of her sons went in the ministry. Amen. Mrs. Zebedee comes to Jesus. Mother. Mothers, you know, they can be a little bold. You know what I'm saying? She decides, no, 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 I'm not going to work through my son. This time I'm going to go to the Lord myself. So Mrs. Zebedee comes to, to Jesus, kneels down and said, My Lord, give me a favor. Kneeling down. This, she was dead serious. And Jesus was like, what do you want? <laughs> who, who do you want me to heal? No, it's not about healing. I have a vision. <laughs> See that? She had a BHAG. Her big, holy, and audacious goal was what? I want one son, left. Another son, right. Come on, my Lord. You can do it. They are awesome, aren't they? And Jesus looked at her. I think Jesus chuckled in his heart. That's how I see this whole thing. And Jesus probably, you know, grabbed her hand and said, Can you drink the cup? Here you are talking about left and right. Can you drink the cup? I don't think she knew what he meant. Can you drink the cup? You see, before... Before you, you set your eyes on your big, holy, or audacious goal, you have got to count the cost and you have to be able to drink the cup. Amen, everybody? And you've got great plans in the East region. And I admire that, I respect that, and I say a big hearty amen to that. And some of you, when you hear these plans, you'll be sitting there thinking, Yeah, I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up, man. (laughs) And in two years, yeah, I'm fired up about that one, brother. I'm fired up. And sister, I'm fired up. And then three, yeah, fired up. Let's go start this. I'm fired up about that. Let's go start that. I'm fired up about that. And bro, we want you to be thinking, Yeah, I'm fired up about that. Bro, we want you to be an elder. I'm fired up about that. Fired up, fired up, fired up. But here's the question. Can you drink the cup? Amen? So I want to give us a message about drinking the cup as a family. As a family. How to help each other. How to make it. And how to blow it out. How many of you, speaking about drinking the cup, how many of you know how to taste wine? I'm talking to the men. Amen, brothers? You sort of know how to do it. Just raise your hand. It's okay. All right, great. So, my friend, the cup, right? Okay. Now, how do you how do you taste wine? There are several steps, isn't there, brothers? The ones who raise your hand. Are you with me? All right. Now, I, I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? But but you don't have to tell me the whole the whole. Don't give me the whole nine yet. Just one step. There are probably five or six, but one. What's the one thing you do in order to be able to taste 
this. Because you see, before you drink, what do you have to look? Taste it. Are you with me here? Alright, so what's the first thing? One point. Smell? True? Then what else? Isn't that true? You go like that, right? Alright, what's another one? You got a what? You look at it. And you put it by the light, right? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you don't even know what you're looking at, but it just looks cool. <laughs> and you hold it behind the light, alright? Light at the background, you go, mm, this is good. Alright? And then what do you do? And then you? And then? What's that, bro? Feel it around, right? It's sort of like you gargle, right? No? It's not gargling. Just move it around with your tongue. And then you go. That is actually the professional way to taste wine. Now, when I went to school in England, boarding school in England, boys in boarding school are always hungry. And so that was the case with me. And I, I, I was in boarding school, I was so hungry, even after dinner, you know, dinner was like boiled peas and, ma and boiled potatoes. That's how it is in England. I mean, the English food. Very healthy. But then I decided to join the Wine Tasting Society. But I had an ulterior motive. Because they had cheese and biscuits. You know what I'm saying? Man, I was a hungry teenager. Come on! So I go in there, right? And I walk into this society. And, uh, and here was this British, he was a physics teacher. Oh, he had beard. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Lewis. They always call you by surname. Lewis, yes. I said, uh, may I join the uh, wine tasting society? And he said, okay, first thing, do you know how to taste wine? I said, yeah, absolutely. So he, he paused, right, a little bit in, in a glass in front of me. And he said, well, let me watch you taste it. Since you want to join the wine tasting Here's how I did it. I went. <laughs> and he looked down on the floor. And then he gave me a little lecture. And that was the first and the last time I ever showed up. There is a process involved. You see, Jesus said, can you drink the cup? Now, God has poured. The cup is your life. What he's poured in it is what God has allowed to come into your life. Blessings and challenges. Amen? Amen. Now, if you're going to drink this cup, the first point, point number one, you need to look at the cup. Look at the cup. Just like when you taste wine, you look at it. Amen? 
Now brothers, what kind of wine is this? Red wine? You reckon? No, it's grape juice. <laughs> I got you, my friend. But it's not fair. You're from the distance. Okay. But you're supposed to look, right? Amen, brothers? You look. Now, if it is, what color would you have, should impress you? Dark what? Burgundy, reddish, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I just like to preach about this. <laughs> but you're supposed to look at it. But I don't have the eye. But an expert will look at it and they'll say, Ah, my friend, very nice. You see, if you want to drink the cup, you've got to know what you're drinking. Amen? So point one, brothers, have you looked at your cup? And for some of you, you're like, oh, I've looked at it, brother. And I don't like it. You know what I'm saying? I've held it up high. And I don't like what I see, brother. But I like your cup. Can we? No change. You understand? This is the way God works. God gives you, your, the cup is your life. What is poured in it is what God has allowed. And Satan has a part in it. It's got blessings. It's got good news. It's got highs. But it also has got what? Lows. And it's got challenges. And it's got stuff. You look at it and you're like, ah! And what you want to do then is go... <laughs> and you say, I don't like this cup. And in that context, Jesus himself, not too long after this, looked at his cup. <coughs> See what I'm saying? In the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, this is Jesus. He looked at that cup. He didn't just, you know, goof around last night. You know what I'm saying? Let's have a fantastic Passover. I'm not going to be eating for another three days. You know what I'm saying? And then go for it. He didn't. That hours was spent looking. He looked so intently at the cup. And when he looked at it, he's like, Oh, this is a bitter cup. And then he said to God, God, take this cup. He hadn't even tasted it yet. But just looking at it, he's like, I don't want it. It's bitter. And he's saying, God, take it away. Take it away. And God says, no. What's your cup like? Let's talk with the family. You know, for so many brothers, you know what it is? The cup, when they hold it up, all right? And they say, ah, the church is awesome. Right? Peter and Laura, awesome. The elders, they're awesome. Right? My Bible talk, awesome. But my family, for so many people, for many brothers and sisters, 
That is the conclusion. And what is it about the family? My kids are not doing well. Right? Or the marriage. Either it's the marriage or it's the relationship with the kids. And I tell you what, that's in that cup, my friend. And for so many of you, you look at that cup and you're like, I, this is, I hate this cup. And you took it every year, you know, you look at it and you're like, why is it still there? And every year, it's getting worse. And every year, you, you don't even pray, you wish. You have this wishful thing, take this cup away, you don't even pray through it. You're like, come on! And here's how God works, you throw it down, you tip it down the sink, God will fill it up again. And you throw it, you fill it up again. And it's the same drink. And the drink is not going to change. The substance will remain exactly the same. You need to take a look at that cup. And here's the godly approach. This is the approach Jesus had. He lifted it and he looked. He didn't like it. But then he said what? I'm going to accept it. Amen. I don't like it. It's painful. And I know when I drink it, ah! But I'm going to accept it. Emotionally, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to look at it and, and claim it my own. I'm going to personalize it and say, this is my cup. And I'm not going to be envious towards someone else's cup. And I'm going to just say, this is my cup. So, brothers, have you looked at your cup? So, what is your cup like? Let me ask you this. Are your kids struggling? Some of you don't even want to think about it. They're okay. You know, the avoiders among us. We walk around, always Mr. Positive. And your spouse is like, honey, we got to do... Chill out, man. They're going to be fine, man. That's what you said. That was the music you said three years ago. And they're the same. And you know what? In your heart of hearts, you are scared stiff. And you're like... And now, that, that gut feeling is getting stronger. And you know, I don't think we're going to make the cut here. Have your kids... Have your kids... Started studying the Bible? Are they showing eagerness? Are they facing a roadblock? Is there something tripping them? Your marriage, is it cracking? Is it getting stronger? And so many of us who are avoiders, you know what? They, they avoid it. They don't want to talk about it. It's always, it's good, brother. It's matter of fact. And you walk with that false sense of optimism. But you know what? You don't want to look at the cup. I'm saying take a look at it because before you drink it, you got to know what you're drinking. Amen? Because that's what Jesus did and we're all called upon to be like our Lord. We look at it intently. We see the blessings. We see the challenges. And on the challenge front, we say, it's mine. God, I truly accept it. And for some of us, we see things we've never expected. Are you facing an illness you never thought would fall on you? 
something that's happened to your mom or dad or your wife. There's a brother in our church, three brothers right now, who've lost their spouses over the last few years in our church. I mean, I know them. They've been baptized, you know, a long time ago. And I thought we're going to grow old together. Do you know what I'm saying? We're going to go fat together, this way, that way, all. The cup was not like that. They died. All of the three wives died. I did the funeral. And I, I, I have asked God, I'm like, God, why? What? This is not the cup. I thought you would pour. That's life. Are you discouraged with all the things that have happened to your family right now? And some of you, you've made so many mistakes. And you know what? You're reaping what you've sown. Lack of godliness, lack of focus for many years. And now you're reaping it. And, I, and I, you know what? The Bible teaches that. We reap what we sow. But you know what though? That's not a law that works like mathematics. Amen? You can completely reverse the trend. If we decide to look at it, embrace it, and then do whatever we need to do to change it, God will work. God will work. I want to share with you a story about a good friend of mine. 1999, we studied the Bible. This guy was a CEO, flashy guy, drives a nice car. He had the nicest car in the church. You know, he'd come in. <laughs> Mr. Cool. You know. And I studied the Bible with him. Guy, he, he, he was a difficult guy. Very flamboyant, very, you know, into himself. We studied. He repented. And one of the things he had to do was go and apologize to his wife. And to the people in his company. Because I felt like he needed to do that. This guy hurt a lot of people. With his words and with his, you know, the way he talks. His whole demeanor is very, very much one like, you know, one way he puts people down. And so he did that. And he went to the company that everybody in the company flipped out. Then I went to the company and met and they were all... And, and, and the brother said to me, and Colin, by the way, he, that was his name, he got baptized. And he said, listen, everybody, whatever I've changed, you know, this man here helped me. So I met all the people, and he started to do well. Then he got materialistic. He switched jobs, and the jobs had him travel. He was, you know, not as much involved in the church, and gradually he was starting to lose his faith. You know what I'm saying? And I remember getting with him. And, I'm, and I remember telling him, if you don't change something right now, I said to him, your marriage, I am telling you, it's going to go down. I can, I, I, I can tell because when we studied the Bible, it wasn't going well. God is trying to bring you out of this. He had cancer and God intervened and then he, he got healed. There was so much to be grateful for, but you know what? He then, his old sinful nature came back. He got so arrogant, he said, 
I called him so many times. He, I bonded with him. You know how it is? You study with the guy you like, right? Notwithstanding all the things he has to work on. But you know, you get drawn to him. And it broke my heart. He stopped coming to church. Call, call, no reply. But here's what I did. Every year, every year, I try to call him at least once and I send him a text message. My friend, it's me. No reply. 1999, 2000, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 2006, 7, I get a call. Chinese New Year, around about this time in Singapore. Is this John? I said, yes. He said, do you remember me? And I tell you what, I could recognize his voice. I said, is this Colin? He said, yes. I said, my friend. <laughs> as soon as I said those words, he wept. He said, my mom just passed away. And I put all the name cards of everybody I know in the whole world right on my table. I spread it all out. And I went through and I asked myself, who really can help me? And he said, I picked yours. He said, that's why I'm calling you. I said, okay. I got together with him. He aged. But he had that same old demeanor. You know, that put down. So I said, Colin, first appointment. What's happened the last 10 years? He doesn't put his head down a lot. Usually he acts like he knows everything. This time, my marriage, gone. I said, what happened? He said, one year after I left the church, divorced. I said, okay. Then what happened? He said, I got involved in immorality. Then I found another woman. And she's now my wife, but she's half my age. And the kids of my first marriage didn't know I got remarried. And then for my mother's funeral, we all showed up <laughs> like Brady Bunch. And my kids flipped out. Because they're like, who is this other woman with you? And his first wife, I mean, it was absolutely, it was hell after that. They cornered him. And the daughter said, I'll never speak to you again. I mean, it was, it was bad. And he said, and he, he, as he narrated the entire account, I said, well, first thing I told him, I told you so. But in love. Amen. <laughs> and then he said, I know. Then he wept in front of me and he said, what do I do now? I said, it's complicated, but that's your cup. In your cup, first wife, gone. First two set of kids, don't like you. New wife, 
and now you have another daughter from the second wife. Okay, that's your cup, buddy. Okay, that's your cup. Are you with me? That's your cup. Now don't go. You did that to me 10 years ago. Because at that time, your cup was a lot nicer. My friend, he didn't have all these other subcomponents to it. Remember, he said, don't go. It's more bitter now than it's ever been. But let's change. We studied the Bible. And this time, we studied. We studied. We did counseling. We went in there. He got restored. And when he got restored, he got up there and just told the whole church his whole life. I mean, people were weeping. Then, I said, you need to apologize again. Remember? Ten years ago. It's time to do it again, my friend. And he went to his kids. And then his daughter got married. You know, on the wedding day, father's joy, right? You want to make the nice speech, right? And you know what was his speech? He got up there and he said all the things he did wrong. And he apologized to his daughter. And he said, I just want to change at this age. It was so incredible. Then he got with his son, and he said, son, I goofed up. Just come to church. He dragged his son, and his son showed up at church. Defiant-looking teenager. <laughs> you see that a lot, don't you? Oh. I can tell those. Come on. They're not too happy. They don't like church. A lot of stuff going on. Here's the thing. We reached out to the boy, studied the Bible. Guess what? He got baptized. He's now one of the most fired up teenage boys in our church. Then, he had to keep mending Right? His mistakes. He reached out to his wife, the second wife. And she was from China. She doesn't even speak English. She doesn't even believe in God. First study, she was like, what is all this? He kept reaching out, kept being humble, kept reaching out. Year and a half later, wife got baptized. Amen? Amen? He's still on his journey to win his first wife back and the daughter. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, that was his cup. And it's changing. Amen? Amen? Now, have you looked at yours? What is it like? What is your cup like? What part is it that you don't like? And you see, you need to accept it like Jesus. Amen? You've got to accept it and then you embrace it. And you work through it. And you know what? God will help you drink the cup. Amen, everybody? Point one. We need to look at the cup. Point two. 
before you drink it, you need to look. Then, what do you need to do? No, no, no. You don't think I'm going to come up with a point. Smell the cup, do I? <laughs> Church, come on! My friend, first, we look. Point two? Point two, we lift it. See that? After you looked, you lift. But here's the, there's a caveat to that. How many of you like to drink wine alone? My brothers, you better not raise your hand. Because if you do, we need the fellowship. Me and you and Pedro. And the elders, we need to talk. Now, how many of you like to drink wine with other people? Like when you have a dinner. Come on, raise your hand. How many of you don't like drinking wine? Oh, we're together. I'm not much of a wine drinker. My wife, she likes a little wine here and there. But you know what? But even though I don't like it, but there is something nice, isn't it? You go to a dinner, right? And they pour a little bit. Come on, you guys. Little bit. Are you with me here? Little bit, right? And you don't know what the heck that is. Some of you, like me, were ignorant. But from now on, you can pretend. You can go. This is good wine. And then what do you do? You know, you lift it. And then when you, but what makes it nice? You go together, right? Glass with glass. Ching. You know that sound? Isn't that nice? And what do you say? You toast, right? For 2011. Our family. Right? Maybe you did that with your Bible talk. Maybe you did that with your family group. Maybe you did that. And it says, and you know, when you toast and your glass touch each other, what are you saying? Cheers. I understand. But what does cheers mean? There you go. I help you drink your cup. You help me drink mine. Amen. Ching. Amen. And you drink together. That means we're in it together. This is family. Are you with me? We're going to do this together. We're going to go through the highs and the lows. Amen? We're going to work at this together. So, let me ask you right now. Who are you lifting the cup with? Who have you got in your life to lift this cup with? And for some of us, you know what? We don't have anyone. We drink alone. In our room. Lock the door. And then that toast to the Holy Spirit is kind of different, you know. Oh Lord, I'm depressed. <laughs> is that true? I can't do it. I can't do it. Knock me out, Lord. <laughs> now! Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take that to heart right now. 
That's not how God wants you to drink it. The plan in the Bible is this. You lift your cup with who? With each other. Amen? Don't drink too much. Amen? But with each other. And you toast. This is what it's all about. And you know what? That's the way it needs to be. So right now, have you lifted your glasses with other brothers and sisters? In other words, they know what is in your cup. And you know what is in their cup. You see, that takes connection. You know, some of you, you drink in a cup, no one can even see. It's opaque. It's supposed to be in a glass, my friend. Ah, red. Blood red. Yours, pink. Why? Let's talk. Some of you, it's in a glass no one can see. They can just see the outside. L.A., City of Angels. And it's covered, you know. People see the facade. People see just what you want them to see. The decor. The cool you. The me that I want everybody to see. The me there where I walk in the church. Man, I'm cool. And brothers and sisters, you got to really be vulnerable. Remember we talked about vulnerability. And this is what I want to challenge you with. Be vulnerable with each other. So that you can what? Lift the cup. Together. That's the church. And I want you to have that kind of relationship in your Bible talks, in your small group. Talking, talking, until you know each other inside out. And something about that process where if I just tell you everything and you tell me everything, just that process of communication, that already will help you change. Just that process, because the world, they don't have anyone to talk to like that. Pity the person who has no one to help him when he's down. So point two, we lift our cups together. Amen? We lift it together. And then lastly, what do we do? Drink. Drink. And you know how in Singapore, in Singapore, you know how we do our toast? It's weird, guys. Here you say elegantly, cling, ching, right? And then you say cheers. In Singapore, oh gosh. You know how we do our cheers? We yell in Singapore. When we raise our glasses in a restaurant, there are two words, yam sing. That means bottoms up. <laughs> and so we raise all our glasses, right? And you take a deep breath. <laughs> yam! And you yell. There could be, you know, five other tables there filled with people. In Singapore, we understand each other. <laughs> After you do your yam sing, they will do this. We go, yeah, and you're supposed to yell until you run out of breath. And then you take another gasp. <laughs> and you do it three times. And you lift it up again. You go, yeah. It's the craziest toast I've ever heard. 
I like the British one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have a nice future together. <laughs> Point is this. Drink up all the way. Amen? Drink up all the way. And some of you, you started drinking. First three years of your Christian life, then you threw it up. You spat. <laughs> you spat it out because you didn't like it. You got to drink it. And here's my job in the church. I drink mine, but I help you drink yours. You drink yours, you help me drink mine. Amen? Not just looking, not just talking, but now it's the what? It's to walk the walk. Amen? Now we actually drink all the way. So, who's helping you drink? How are you doing with the drinking, brothers and sisters? Have you started this year? Some of us, you know what, one, two months go by, we haven't even started drinking. What is going on? You got to do this. You got to, you know, life may be tough right now. You may be studying the Bible. Tough. But start drinking. Anything is possible. You got to drink the cup. And as you drink the cup, you know what, God will bless you. That's the message I want to leave with you all this morning. Three simple points. When it comes to drinking the cup as a family. Point one, look. Amen? I urge you, look at it. Two, lift with others. Find the few. Lift it together. Be vulnerable. And lastly, let's drink as a family. Amen. Thank you, and may God bless you all.